Hello, I'm Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm recording this on Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Welcome back to another audio commentary as I continue going through the newest season of Bungo Stray Dogs. Last time we looked at Season 4, Episode 7 of Bungo Stray Dogs, Episode 44 overall. Today we're doing audio commentary for Season 4, Episode 8, Episode 45 overall, titled, You a Child of Sin, I a Child of Sin. These audio commentaries are available after the newest Bungo Stray Dogs episode airs, that being on Wednesday for any patrons at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Derek S. McGrath. And then these commentaries are made public and free starting the Tuesday after to watch on YouTube or listen via the podcast RSS link in the description. There is also a spoiler warning for all of Bungo Stray Dogs, and I do mean all of it, up to chapter 105.5 of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga. And while the Crunchyroll preview image wasn't much help, it's just an image of the ending title sequence, just given what I know from those manga spoilers and what I expect we're getting into for today's episode, I'm going to add a content warning for this episode and this audio commentary regarding depictions of war, torture, child abuse, suicide, and grooming. While we're getting started, you can go ahead and pull up episode 45 on the Crunchyroll website, pause it at the beginning of the episode, then when I get to the 24 minute, 30 second marker in the audio commentary, you can unpause and watch along with my audio commentary. Before we start the audio commentary, let's cover just a bit about what probably awaits us in today's episode. As I just said with the content warnings, there is going to be a lot of uncomfortable material. I know that I reacted badly to the previous episodes given just how brutal the violence has felt this season compared to earlier seasons, which is saying something as each season seems to find new ways to physically and psychologically torture Atushi, so I'm not sure why I'm more surprised at the violence this season compared to those previous seasons. I'm not saying that the abuse Atushi suffers in previous seasons isn't awful, whereas this content is awful. It's all bad. And I hate phrasing all of it in this manner, but... The violence we've had previously with Atushi was mitigated by his ability to physically regenerate, although that doesn't ignore how Atushi is in a constant state of having to emotionally recover and respond each day to living with past trauma, and as we're probably going to get, if not in this week's episode, then next week's, we need to account for the trauma of recovering from fatal injuries, and to the credit of this series, Bungo Stray Dogs does emphasize that how many times can you heal from an injury before it really taxes your emotions and your mental health? As much as I can say that what Atushi has gone through is difficult, but at least we get to see him work to overcome a lot of what he has dealt with, this episode... I can already tell I am going to be enraged at certain moments. This episode may not show all the war that Yosano and Mori experienced, but we're going to understand enough about what did happen in that war, and I don't know how you can watch this and not come away. I think saying bothered is too kind a word. I don't know how you can come away from this episode not feeling inundated by however little war imagery we get, especially given how much child abuse and really uncomfortable content we're going to sit through. To spoil what is coming up in this and likely the subsequent episode, Yosano was only a small child when she was recruited into the Japanese military, where her healing ability was weaponized by Mori, thus that rather than Japan sending more and more soldiers to die, Mori came up with a plan where he would send the exact same soldiers over and over again to get injured over and over again, and then have Yosano heal them over and over again. 
which only contributed to mental torture for Yosano's patients, and she was only a child when she was doing this. One soldier in particular who referred to Yosano as being the one who saved his life initially calls her his angel, and then he ends up hanging himself, but not before he changes that description to call her an angel of death. You'll remember one of the hunting dogs referred to her as such in the previous episode, and once you know who the fifth hunting dog is, you will understand how that fifth hunting dog knew she was the angel of death and could share that with the other hunting dogs. So keep that soldier in mind. Their connection to the fifth hunting dog is going to be very important later. So I'm going to be curious what design they go with for that character in the anime to make them really look similar to that fifth hunting dog. And I'm just going to take a guess on the English stub given the actor involved it would not surprise me given how many times this actor has played so many roles in the Bungo Stray Dogs English dub that we're going to hear him playing that soldier as well. But this episode isn't just bothering me only because of how it continues to represent Mori, who is already presented. I really don't want to use the word here, so I'm going to skip it because it's really uncomfortable to talk about. We know what kind of a character Mori is. Let's just put it that way. And we see him corrupting a child like Yosano. All of that is bad enough. All of that we are probably not shocked about given you see how he's around Elise. Are you really that surprised that this is how he treats a child like Yosano? All of that is bad enough. But what makes it worse, this is an uncomfortable question to approach, this feels like this arc is trying to make you think that there is something equivalent between what Mori's Port Mafia has done and what Fukuzawa's agency has done. This does not feel like an arc that is trying to define the differences between these two groups. It feels like this is an arc suggesting that there is a commonality between them. I don't mean the agency is as bad as Mori or the Mafia. We could also have debates about whether the Mafia is somehow less bad than Mori, which I think you might be able to make an argument with that. If someone like Koyo or Hiroshu was in charge of the Mafia, I kind of wonder if we would regard it slightly differently because at least it's not Mori being a pervert and a creep around children. But... What do I mean when I say this is less about establishing differences than it is showing commonalities between Fukuzawa's agency and Mori's Port Mafia? What I mean is, is that you can't ignore Fukuzawa's complicity. He worked for Mori. The government recruited Mori for this purpose in the military. Both Mori and Fukuzawa have killed for that same government, and both of them tried to recruit Yosano for their own motivations that, yeah, even as we see Fukuzawa recognizes Yosano's humanity and that's what convinced her to join him, this is still about deploying her as one of many tools that he has to achieve his goals. It's really hard to recognize that even as Fukuzawa values and cares for Yosano, you do have to... It feels like this arc is trying to put into question... Is that enough, or is Fukuzawa also deploying Yosano as another weapon, as another tool, not as a full human being? And this arc will answer that question, I think, mostly by using Rompo as the way to answer it, but it is an uncomfortable question to pose, seeing two adult men I don't remember the age Yosana was at when she was recruited. She's about Rompo's age, so based on the timeline, she's probably an adult by this point. But upon her recruitment, we are forced to ask, is she being seen as a human being by Fukuzawa, or is this just going to be repeating what her experience was like in the battlefield? Given how we've seen Yosano in the last three seasons, and 
recognizing that she can be as brutal and tortuous as Mori, yeah, it kind of opens up uncomfortable questions where maybe we're laughing at her and along with her as she was practically murdering her teammates in order to heal them, but this kind of retroactively changes how you view her and I think does change how you look at the agency. This series has already, in its color arrangement, in the yin-yang coloring and design to Atukagawa and Atushi, screamed to the audience that you should see the Mafia and the Agency as two sides of the same coin. But after what you're going to see Mori do in the war, after what you see what he has done to Yosano, no, this man is an entirely different level of evil and it becomes nearly impossible for me to look at the Mafia and the Agency as equivalents. This is not two sides of the same coin. Maybe if you're trying to do the yin-yang effect and suggest each side has a little bit of the other, maybe that works, but Mori's behavior, I don't know how an audience can sympathize with him and consider him equivalent to Fukuzawa even as this season will continue to drag Fukuzawa through the mud when not justifying his actions, you understand his regrets even as you also understand how this war was tearing apart a world and his actions, whether you like the outcome or not, ended that war. Mori? Mori is shown as someone who wanted to persist with warfare and was using Yosano to achieve that end. That, at best, seems like the yin-yang effect, or more like a twisted funhouse mirror as I keep mixing these metaphors. This seems like we're trying to establish Mori and Fukuzawa both did awful things in the war, but I come away from this arc thinking... At least Fukuzawa wasn't Mori, and that makes me more sympathetic to the struggle he's facing because he regrets his actions, whereas Mori has shown zero regret. But there is something else that I think the next two episodes are going to accomplish, and that is to show that the real comparison is not between the Mafia and the Agency. Rather, it is between the Mafia and the Guilds. And we haven't kept up with the guild in this series. And for manga readers, I've heard enough of their complaints about how upset they are that the guild gets so little attention. After Fitzgerald is defeated, who do we have left in the series that is a prominent player? We have Lucy and Poe supporting the agency and Fitzgerald and Alcott on their own. All the other members are in completely different places or have faded from the scene. We'll get back to them in a moment, but it's really hard to recognize that they are now going to be a prominent force again when it kind of feels like they're shoehorned into this arc. And it's one reason why I wanted to bring them up now when I had a chance before this episode. Now, I just said that we're going to see the comparison is between the Mafia and the Guilds. And I think it's to establish a difference between Mori and Fitzgerald. Don't get me wrong, Fitzgerald is no hero here. You don't have his guild serving in this story as an indictment against United States politics and act like he is at all a good person. You don't have someone who condescends to Japanese people with racism and bigotry and act like he is wholly good. I'm not ignoring how, during his time in Japan, that ugly American quality has mitigated a bit, that we're supposed to see him as a bit more likable, but it's kind of hard to say, at least he's more polite to Japanese people, when the dude already carpet-bombed Yokohama. He used Mark Twain to attack the city. He unleashed Q's brainwashing onto the city. Nothing like invoking imagery of World War II to emphasize that, for whatever complexities there are to real-life U.S. and Japanese politics around World War II, Fitzgerald's actions are just evil. So, how can I say that Fitzgerald is shown as the good guy in this arc, not only because he's better than Mori, but because he is the good guy of this arc? We'll get to that. 
we are led to believe that Fitzgerald is going to betray the agency, despite the promise he's going to make in this episode to Atushi. We see how Mori and the Mafia manipulate the agency to doubt Fitzgerald's intentions, that Mori and the Mafia are able to say, wait, Fitzgerald made that promise to you, that he's not going to turn you over to the government, to the police, and you trust him? You can't trust him. He doesn't have any stake to help you in this. He'd get more help from the government if he turns you over. And the agency wrestles with that question, thinking, Mori is presented as a chess master. He's probably right on this. But there are two reasons that this series gives you to trust Fitzgerald before we ultimately find out that, yeah, it's a good thing they trusted Fitzgerald at this. First, the man is a gambler. He doesn't trust Atushi and the agency just on the odds, just on Atushi's honesty, just on, oh, the agency probably didn't do anything bad. He's putting a bet on them. He doesn't have enough reasons to think they're innocent of their crimes. And he isn't about to give up on a bet that can only benefit him. If he turns in the agency to the government like the Mafia suggests he will, what benefit does he get from that? I know that the argument's going to be, well, any help you can get from the government is going to help you, but... As represented in this series, and as you can probably imagine from our real-world politics, a government changes. The leadership in it changes. It can go from Taneda to Ongo at the drop of a hat, and now that favor that he is owed from the government falls apart. What happens when Ongo's replacement comes in, and now they don't trust Fitzgerald? Fitzgerald threw his lot in with the government against the agency and was all for nothing. But what if he helps the agency? They're the good guys, which means they're the gullible guys. They will honor their promise that they made to heal Fitzgerald's guild member Mitchell. He has nothing to lose. He gets Mitchell healed, he gets Mitchell back, and now he has a debt that the agency owes him and he can get whatever he wants because they are largely good people who want to help people and if it can only benefit Fitzgerald for actually some altruistic reasons they'll probably go along with it. Last time we saw Fitzgerald he tried to find the book and he was trying to find it by kidnapping Atushi. Now now he doesn't have to kidnap Atsushi. He now is owed a debt. He can call in yet another favor on Atsushi to help him find the book, resurrect his daughter, and help him heal his wife. So that was the first point. If I could sneak in a third point before I get to the second point, because of course I can't do any of this in order. If I had to add a third point to all of this, Fitzgerald is also far more sympathetic than Mori is, so we probably trust him. He wants his wife and daughter back. Who couldn't sympathize with that? But what does Mori want? He just wants power to control Yokohama. We're told by Natsume that having Mori and Fukuzawa and the government helps ensure order to the city, but we also see Mori is willing to manipulate the government and the agency to amass more power. He can say he wants to maintain the peace in Yokohama, but when we see how he handled that war, it's harder to believe that he just wants peace. He doesn't want peace. The war showed what he wants is control, and he wants control over Yokohama. Remember how Baby Oda warned Fukuzawa that the Decay of the Angel wants justice, and when they run out of justice, they'll just want control? That is fascism. That is Pacucci, that is the hunting dogs, and that is Mori. And all of that leads to the second reason why we trust Fitzgerald, when you can see how easily deceived the government is by Pacucci, by Dostoevsky, by Ogre, by Gogol, what kind of a fool would trust them? I just pointed out, Mori was helping the government create perpetual war. I pointed out that you can't trust Pacucci and the hunting dogs. They're already part of this government in this story. 
when you have seen what the government has done in this story and how it is presented to you in the audience, why would you want Fitzgerald to trust them over the agency? And later on in this arc, when you see the lengths Ongo goes to before we see what he was really up to in order to help Dazai and Atushi, you're going to sit there thinking, yeah, don't trust the government. When you see just how craven and bloodthirsty Taneda can get, even if we find out later, as I think we will, that that is just a mental manipulation, that the book was somehow manipulating Taneda, again, what kind of a fool would trust this government in this story? Why would Fitzgerald, who may not be the sharpest guy, why would he trust the government when he is seeing it collapse in front of him? Fitzgerald is the one we are supposed to like because he literally says, fuck the police in this arc. He is set up as the anti-authority character and the agency is the one resisting and authority taking the wrong action. We're supposed to like Fitzgerald. We're supposed to like him. We're not supposed to like Maury. And this is all part of a much longer discussion I can't fully cover in a short amount of time and not without thinking it through in a far clearer fashion. But this all feels like, at this point in the series, Bungo Stray Dogs is trying to redeem the guild, or at least complicate what we think about them. It sucks that we haven't seen more of them in the manga. Steinbeck has disappeared. Lovecraft has shown up in one gag chapter, which I really hope Studio Bones adapts because at the rate this adaptation is going, it's going to catch up to the manga so quickly and then they're going to have to go on hiatus unless they do that gag chapter, which that could get them maybe half an episode where you see what Lovecraft has been up to. We still thankfully have some guild members like Poe and Lucy assisting the agency. Alcott and Fitzgerald, of course, are still around. We're still looking at Mitchell and Hawthorne. But... They, these characters never felt like the most complex characters. When you have Poe's story arc, his narrative arc, wrap up with realizing he is a good detective and he could learn a lot from Rompo, that's kind of the end of his progression. Lucy's now reduced to a Sundere who likes Atushi but can't say it. She's still there. I still appreciate her being here, but she doesn't get as big a role in the story as, say, Kiyoka's ongoing desire to wipe the red out of her ledger or Atsushi trying to live with trauma. Even as I appreciate that the series is trying to make a guild character like Fitzgerald more sympathetic, that is still making him sympathetic by killing off his daughter and having his wife suffer a mental health crisis. That's practically a fridging. I understand this comes from Fitzgerald's own literature and real life, but yeah, just because you take inspiration from real life doesn't change that you're using some pretty bad narrative tropes that aren't really that complicated and make audience engagement feel cheap. The Guild feels like it was here initially as a take that at America. Certainly not undeserved, but still a pretty simple criticism that I'm not sure is as deep as it could have gone. But here, here we get to show that these characters aren't just caricatures of Americans. These are people who are still not the good guys, but they are a hell of a lot more trustworthy, at least in this arc, than Mori is. And it does help that they have appealing designs and personalities, we love Poe because he's such a good little awkward boy. We love Lucy because she's a fiery red-headed tsundere. So now it's time to let Fitzgerald rise to the occasion and become an even more popular character with the fans. Let's see whether Fitzgerald can clear that bar. We begin this live reaction audio commentary to the newest Bungo Stray Dogs episode, that being episode 45 overall, season 4, episode 8, you a child of sin, I a child of sin. As a reminder, I expect we will need content warnings for this episode and this audio commentary regarding depictions of war, torture, child abuse, suicide, and grooming. 
I have today's episode pulled up and paused, and we can see that the first image is a really sunset-looking version of the usual opening title card. So, yeah, there's a reason we're using a sunset here, because things are going to get much worse before that sun comes up again. You can watch this episode on the Crunchyroll website, then pause the episode before it starts. I will do a countdown, so after I finish saying three, two, one, unpause, you can unpause the episode and watch along with my audio commentary. Everyone ready? Okay, starting the countdown, three, two, one, unpause. Something I didn't talk about was Chuya, and yeah, a lot of this is just because I think Chuya exists as a protagonist of his own spin-off series. Oh, they cut the F-bomb in the subtitles, I don't know why I didn't notice that before. The other thing about Chuya, and I wonder if we're even going to get the opening title sequence or if they're going to cut that for the sake of fitting in more content today. I won't name names. There was one review I read this episode or the previous one that was about how Chuya practically saves the episode. Uh, you know, okay, so we are getting the opening title sequence. Chuya functions better as a protagonist of his own spin-off series. I know I went on a rant against Mori a moment ago, but imagine if you had another spin-off series to Bungo Stray Dogs. And in that spin-off, you had Chuya be the leader of the Mafia. And now you have Chuya, and yeah, you can call him overpowered, but if you give him an antagonist where he is now having to be that powerful to win against that antagonist, that would work with people. Or rather, it would work for me. I just don't see the appeal of Chuya as a supporting character within this much larger world, this much larger story, when he's too powerful and then has to get nerfed and his presence is so limited. And his characterization is based on how he relates to the Mafia and to Dazai. There is so much more potential you can get from him that the light novel Stormbringer thankfully accomplishes that if you want him to thrive as a character, I think he needs to be a spin-off. Something else I didn't mention, kind of funny how Gogol is still in the opening even though he's freaking dead. Just go and leave that out there because manga readers will understand. This humor, I know we've all, I've already discussed how people being upset with the humor is misplaced. Here, though, when you're rushing Kunikita's story, I don't remember this gag in the manga, at least not presented like this. And again, you then put that comedy in the middle of Kenji getting freaking stabs. This series can have an odd tone, and I don't think the previous seasons had that problem. This one, though, I think is having that problem. I also, this is why I thought this moment would have been the one to end this episode, or end the previous episode. Here it's being treated as an action hero moment. This is not an action hero moment. This is Tanazaki's entire world collapsing as being treated as an action hero moment instead of this is a desperate man making a desperate move that you can't stomach as the right choice to make. 
I also want to point out that we will see the aftermath of this. It doesn't work. When you see what happens to Kunikita, but then what happens to this other guy, you're like, how does this work? I don't remember the manga specifying that this scene was two days later. This is also another reason why I don't get why we didn't make the Atushi stuff. But up again, just like Studio Bones wants it, I don't understand why we didn't make this Atushi stuff into its own episodes. I will swap these scenes, but I've already made my point. I'm going to stop talking about it. He may not have survived. There's no way he could have survived. Are we going to show who else got captured? Like Naomi and... Uh, wow, I didn't know Atsushi could just walk through the streets that easily. This scene really is incompetence. Um, are we going to see Naomi and Kiroka? Kiroko? And no one knows it's them shoplifting. This is too convenient. And even this coming from the manga doesn't work for me. And we're passing the crepe shop just to really emphasize how broken Kiyoka is about all of this. The armed detective agency has its staff of secretaries like Naomi and Kiroka. Why are we not seeing them? So we're both rushing the pace and depending on flashbacks to save on the animation budget. I know I'm going to be a sourpuss about all of this. For all the people obsessing about how little you get a Chuya and then you see how this series will continue to force Dazai to have a presence when he's not there, it's an awkward construction. This feels more like the manga was having to put in... This feels more like the manga was having to put in work ahead of the anime to set up how you can keep actors in the cast, characters in the story. The Mushitaro phone call, again, saying he's missing... I really wish this series would just say these characters are dead. I know that's a bit much to ask for because it's like Ogre, you could say we didn't see a body, he can't be dead. Kunikita, we don't see a body, he can't be dead. This is a problem with CGI animation in particular, but it's creeping into 2D animation or has always been a problem in 2D animation. But just the fact that there's no one else in this building. Fitzgerald is good at what he does, but he's not this good that he will catch everyone but all caught in the building. Like, we don't see anyone at the reception desk. And I'm guessing that's just a formality, because why do you need to hire real-life people when you can have computers do all the work? I'll save a rants for another time, but as someone who has written on Nathaniel Othorn, who read a ton about him... It is bothersome to me to have Hawthorne reduced down to just an Arthur Dimsdale priest character, especially since Arthur Dimsdale was not a priest. He was a Puritan. That's... It's a slight difference that may not mean much. And we wrap up the Hawthorne fight that quickly. The pacing is so bizarre here to just have Fitzgerald and Hawthorne's fight wrap up that quickly to do the two-day time skip to now bring in this effing pervert 
And granted, a lot of this is retrospective because we only had Yosano bring up that she knew Mori before in the last season, whereas in hindsight, it would have been nice to have brought up Yosano's connection to Mori in earlier seasons, earlier episodes. I'm not even sure the manga knew they were going to do this, although... Of course they would have known. The real-life Yosano, the real-life Mori, had a professional connection. Of course that would be in the manga. In the manga, Fitzgerald was working with Dosayeski... The anime never quite represented that. Now, granted, Dostoevsky screws over Fitzgerald later. Uh, there's so much the manga hasn't explained, such as why the Order of the Clock Tower, the Rats, and the Guild were working together to capture Atushi in order to find the book. But the anime sidestepped it, so let's just pretend that Fitzgerald and Dostoevsky weren't working together before. And let's also see if we're going to keep the scene of Dostoevsky greeting Dazai upon his arrival. Is this a hypothetical or is this Dostoevsky literally saying it so that anyone could hear him, including the security team? It's like a game of chess, he says, as he walks across a literal chessboard pattern on the floor. Right, I forgot this is why we rushed the Hawthorne scene. I forgot that he left that trap behind, so my mistake... You know, I don't like Dostoevsky monologuing like this because it makes him look incompetent. Now, granted, I appreciate a series that says we will... I appreciate a series that doesn't make Dostoevsky always have another plan on top of another plan to make this happen. But at the same time, having Dostoevsky literally monologuing to himself is so ridiculous and over the top that it takes me out of the story. So this will be the next scene to show us whether Taneda is being manipulated by the book with what Ango remembers him telling him, or maybe Ango's own memories are being manipulated of what Taneda told him, or whether Taneda really is this incompetent and bloodthirsty. I don't remember whether the manga explained that was Taneda's ability, so at least now I know what it is that Taneda can sense ability users near him, which would also then explain how Rompo, who doesn't have an ability, would be able to get the jump on him. I was never on very good terms with the chief. I ranked this out there with the Kunikita referring to Katai as a frenemy, these two have been shown as getting along. I don't believe this for a moment. I don't know why, but I don't think this scene actually happens. I think that someone's memories or behavior was manipulated by the book. Right, like that line, the hell with pe the hell with the law when peace is on the line, I will let even good men die for it. I know Taneda cut the deal with Mori, and he helped Dazai get into the agency. I don't see Taneda as being this bloodthirsty. <sighs> <sighs> 
but maybe that's me being overly optimistic. Like, I enjoy Ongo as a character, even as I recognize he's an awful person. Okay, so they are keeping the Dostoevsky part, except now he says it's not a round... In the manga, he called it a round table. Here, he's calling it a therapy session. Maybe I was wrong and TV Tropes was right when they said the comedy does clash here. So, who's the worst therapist here? Wow, we brought back Pushkin and Gone. The waitress isn't in the manga, she's in the anime, and she replaces the cafe master's wife, which is going to be disappointing because the wife is so important to what comes later in this anime, or was so important to what comes next in the manga, to not include her in the anime is, it's going to be an awkward sit. So we include Dostoevsky's monologuing to justify how these two end up talking to each other. Which also just shows a problem with this prison system. I'm not interested in advocating for solitary confinement, but if these criminals are really so dangerous, and Fitzgerald is still a racist towards Japanese people, and his pronunciation skills are as horrifyingly bad as mine, so... Moving on, what I was trying to say is solitary confinement, but you're letting Dostoevsky still talk with Dazai to plot things, and the prison system just assumes that everything is so secure that they don't have to worry. It's interesting here, Alcott was horribly injured by Hawthorne in the manga, here, in the manga, she's bandaged up. Her head is bandaged up. Here, she isn't bandaged in the head. So, maybe the injury is not as bad, or maybe later in the episode she'll be bandaged, or next episode she'll be bandaged. It's almost like they didn't want to show just how attacked she was. On the one hand, I should appreciate that for not potentially fridging her, but on the other hand, you're not showing the brutality of what she went through and survived. Well, there's plenty wrong with that, Fitzgerald. I am still going to stand by what I already said, that... Fitzgerald is being represented here as the better option than the Mafia. If anything, Fitzgerald is just flat out honest saying, yeah, I intend to do this for this reason. What is with this series and books? Why do you put Ongo in Ongo's office in a library? Why are you keeping Mitchell in the middle in the middle of book stacks instead of in an actual infirmary in your building. You have more money than you need. Her motherlands. Oh, God, Fitch, you're making it hard to defend you over Mori. There's another problem I have with this. Yosano's abilities are supposed to be clearly established, but how Mitchell is going to be healed by Yosano, I don't understand because we're told Yosano can't heal long-term illnesses such as respiratory ones. Keep that in mind when we get to a certain character who is 
could be revealed as a terminal case. Another flashback, not an unwarranted one since this ties in thematically for Kyoka to understand Atsushi's actions, but a little disappointing for what the animation is doing. Given what comes next, I am curious. Of course, Mori goes back on the deal, jerk. Given what's going to happen to that ambulance, I don't remember where they move Mitchell, Atsushi, and Kyoka. Given what we're going to see to that ambulance, makes me wonder if Mitchell does end up dying given what we are going to see happen. Again, this scene is setting up the contrast, which Cheryl flat out says, yeah, I'm going to use Mitchell to take out Hawthorne and you should be fine with that. Mori here is going to make a promise that he will not take Yosano and then he flat out lies saying, oh yeah, I'm taking Yosano because Fukuzawa gave me permission to. See, this should not work. Yosano should be like, I can trust Fukuzawa over your word. That being said, Yosano has been traumatized and brutalized for so much of her life that of course she could think, so even... She could think even Fukuzawa has now turned on me. Yeah... Alcott's still not bandaged on her head. I'm not a fan of this. I think it would make more sense to show that she survived something that brutal and is still functioning. I don't get the pacing for these episodes. We had the closing title music now going. Does this... So we're going to end it with You Can't Trust Fitzgerald, You Can Trust Maury. This is such an odd place for a cliffhanger. There is zero reason for these people to trust Maury. And... I don't trust the presentation here to make the audience think, yes, you can trust him. The pacing of this season, I, I wish I could sound less judgmental and insulting, but I am not liking this pacing at all. And I know some of this is, you're just not happy that your prediction turned out to be wrong again. It's also just not good pacing. I thought they were going to end with the ambulance arriving where Mori and the agency remnants are. To end with a cliffhanger saying, don't trust Fitzgerald's. That doesn't work for me. The episode, or at least, I mean, granted, when you see how it ends, that way it ends does taint how you interpret what you just saw. But what we just saw gave, I think, enough evidence to say you can trust Fitzgerald. The guy was flat out honest to Antushi that he wants to see Mitchell defeat Hawthorne and is brutally honest about here's what Mitchell's going through and is brutally honest in just how ignorant and bigoted he can be. And yeah, I can't believe I'm saying that this guy is more trustworthy. Next time, a dream of butterflies. So yeah, next time we're getting Yosano's backstory. So, so much for my content warning there, but eh, it's still applicable given what is going to come next and seeing as I was the one who brought up all of her backstory and how it is so many content warnings that you need to sit through. Final thoughts on this episode? I'm not a fan of it. The pacing is all over the place. It's trying to fit in so many narrative beats. I think you could have kept all of the Kunikida stuff in one episode and really made that Kunikida's episode. This isn't working for me as Zeroization. It's 
having little bits and pieces of each story, each narrative thread now being put into episodes where you're having to watch the next episode to complete that narrative thread that works in the most cynical way of serialized storytelling, like old film serials that make you tune into the next one at the movie theater to see what happens next. This feels like the worst problems with the young justice animated series. And sorry to insult this series, Star Trek deep space nine, where if you would just rearrange a few scenes and put them into the same episode, you not only have something that contributes to the larger serialized narrative, you have a really good episode that stands on its own. Last episode should just been Kuniki the story and you end it there and really make it feel bad. This episode should just been Atushi and Fitzgerald. The next one could have just been Yosano. I think that would have worked a lot better, but that's my thinking and I'm not the producer of this series and they have no reason to listen to one audience member over the guidelines of the creators, the producers, the financers, and a audience that is more than just me. Thank you so much for listening to this audio commentary. What did you think of Season 4, Episode 8 of Bungo Stray Dogs? Do you think I'm too rough on the Port Mafia compared to the Guild? I mean, if Kuyo or Hiroshu were in charge of the Mafia, I think we'd take them over Mori. And what do you think of how the guild has been handled as a representation of the ugly American archetype? Let me know in the comments section or send me an email, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this commentary, please consider contributing at coffee.com slash derekesmcgrath or patreon.com slash derekesmcgrath. Thanks to contributors Alec Roach, Emily Lauer, and Alexis Duran. Next time, things get worse for Yosano, and we probably are going to meet the mystery fifth member of the Hunting Dogs. Next time, we watch episode 46, season 4, episode 9 of Bungo Stray Dogs. You can listen to that new audio commentary Wednesday at patreon.com slash or on Tuesday on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good day. Bye.